Here's what's coming up on this week's show. With everyone doing video conferencing now, everyone's calling card being how they come across in a video conference to a certain extent. I think we need to level it up a little bit. The Beat. Welcome to The Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, welcome to The Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there, fresh from her Valentine's Day experience. <laughs> I wouldn't say that so much. It's gone, it's past. I've forgotten about it already. <laughs> <laughs> it's ancient history, is that? Well, you can't really do much at the moment, you know? Well, what do you mean you can't really do much? It's Valentine's Day. There is one thing you really can do. <laughs> I think I'm actually going to have a divorce after this. I think you probably are. We better move on. Uh, we've got a new feature start. I'll just change the subject very rapidly because we've got a new feature starting next week, haven't we? We have, yeah. We thought we'd shake things up a little bit and introduce something completely fresh and completely new to the show. Yeah, we're going to talk about gardening instead of business. Is that all right? Yeah, all about spades and shovels. <laughs> yes, it's going to be called the big little gardening show from next week. I've got no hope. <laughs> I kill everything. Nor have I. Our house is the house where plants come to die. Yeah, that's why they've been invented fake plants for me (laughs) (laughs) no we're not talking about gardening because it would be a hopeless podcast we are talking about business next week but a brand new uh, feature coming to the show next week which we'll tell you about at the end of this episode so every week we bring on a guest onto the show to talk about a particular topic that maybe businesses are finding particularly challenging at the moment so what are we talking about this time paul oh this is the episode that you couldn't join us on claire Yes, quite. Yeah, the irony of the situation, you couldn't have timed it better or made it up. So the episode's called The Best Technology for Business. We're talking to David McClelland. Uh, Now, David is a bit of a TV tech expert. You can see him on programmes like Watchdog and uh, BBC Breakfast. He also writes a column in the Metro newspaper. And he knows everything there is to know about tech. So we're talking to him about the best technological advances to help your business grow, especially as we're doing things a lot more remotely and one of the things we talked about which we will you'll hear in a bit one of the things we talked about is how to get the best out of your broadband and that's why it's funny that yours died at the right time oh i just can't i can't quite get my head around it still to be honest there is nothing more frustrating than not having the internet or bandwidth that you need in particular when you're interviewing somebody who's going to be talking about just that this is the big little business show over the last 12 months or so, the need for technology has changed dramatically for small businesses, hasn't it? How I mean, how has it changed over the last 12 months? Well, I think we've gone from a position where many people, if they weren't already working from home a little bit, a day, a week, or, you know, whenever someone's coming around to check the gas meter or something, we're here. We are now working from spaces that we own. And, you know, some people might be lucky to have a dedicated room in their house. That's not always a given, let alone having dedicated kit. So certainly the first thing that many of us tried to do last year when when this COVID thing and this working from home experiment kicked off was to get ourselves kitted up. One of the first things that I bought, and I spent a lot of money on it, is an office chair. You know, I was perching on a chair that, uh, as soon as I took it out of my office, I realised why I'd been getting a bag back for a few weeks before that. So um, I spent probably about six, seven hundred pounds on, on a Herman Miller 
chair, which sounds really, really extravagant. But I think of all of the tech that I invested in last year, this has been one of the best. It's a bit difficult when you can't go through the full ergonomic posture thing that you would do if you were in a shop. And, you know, those guys who work in these shops, they really, really know their stuff. And, you know, they will sit you down in a, in a handful of different chairs and they will watch how you sit and how you carry yourself and then suggest some chairs. I had to do that all over the phone. But the guys who I work with were uh, were fantastic and the chair arrived the next day and it is the best chair, the most expensive chair perhaps, but also the best chair that I've ever owned. So it's one less thing to worry about when there's, you know, concerns about health all around us. If I can look after my own health, my physical health, uh, my posture, as well as my mental health in the space that I now own, that is one of the most important things that is going to enable me to do whatever else I want to do uh, professionally in that space. I didn't even know you could spend that amount of money on an office chair. <laughs> oh, my word. It's it's a real eye-opener. I mean, yes, you can get the 50 or 60 pound things from Ikea or wherever, but it is a bit of money. But I think like any other piece of kit in your office, whether it's a laptop, whether it's a camera or a monitor, it's something that you really, really do need to think about. Like I say, just so you've got one less thing to worry about and you can divert to devote your attention onto the stuff that's going to help you to uh, realise your business or professional goals, whatever they may be. Now, I know there's a lot of things that I want to ask, a lot of things we can cover, and a lot of things people are thinking about, uh, whether they're thinking perhaps of starting a new business this year. I want to talk about some new tech and some things people can do if they want to get from the ground up and start from scratch. But for people who are already finding themselves working from home, and as we're talking right now at the end of January, we've got homeschooling going on as well. So there's a real battle going on for broadband space. So, and you really need to have quite a strong broadband game in order to survive working at home now, don't you? Yes. And that that's another one of the challenges because, you know, uh, if... In my home, I use that as an example. We have my my wife, who is largely working from home. She's a key worker, but can do some of her work from home. We've got my two kids, who are also schooling. You know, they're they're taking the downstairs space. That means that me, who kind of also wants to be in my cocoon when I'm working from home, I need to be in some fluff, far flung corner of the house. Now, our broadband router is downstairs. It's near to the TV because that's also plumbed in, so Netflix and things like that work. But it means that I'm at the other side of the house when it wants to, when I need to be doing my work. And invariably these days, that's video conferencing. So you're right, we're putting a lot more strain on our broadband connections at home. And, and also we're, we're stretching it. We're doing work in different parts of the house where maybe that signal isn't as strong. So what can you do, particularly if you live in an old house like I do, where those Wi-Fi signals don't penetrate the walls all that well? I have the same problem. I live in an old cottage. Yeah. Brick walls are my enemy. Mm, yes, uh, mine too. So a couple of things to consider. Um, a new breed of router has come along, these mesh routers. And what these do is that these have, um, you've still got your main router that's plugged into your master socket, if you like, you know, the, the good old fashioned telephone socket in your house. But they've also got these little satellite routers throughout your home. And they play They've got this little back channel, if you like, that they talk to each other on, which is a uh, high capacity. And then they create their own little Wi-Fi network in those different zones of the house. And they all work together so that hopefully you'll be able to have seamless coverage throughout your home. They can be quite expensive. Uh, and, you know, that there are a few from popular companies that you might have heard of in the past, like uh, uh, Netgear. Amazon's just bought a company as well, Eero. So there are a few of those. That, that, that's one thing to look out for. 
There is another option. You can use your mains, uh, your electricity supply in your house as a way to feed the internet throughout your house with these little mains uh, um, adapters. So what you do is you take a little wire out of your router, plug it into this little box that then plugs into your 13 amp plug socket. And then that kind of takes up a little bit of your um, a little bit of your electricity supply, if you like. It, it, it doesn't use any of the supply, it just uses a different set of frequencies uh, in that in that connection. And that means that if you plug in another box somewhere else in the house, maybe where you are having problems getting a signal, then that little box can itself repeat that Wi-Fi connection. Or you can plug it into a device if you do have a way to plug it in. That way you're not having to run cables through your home to get the fastest speeds. You're using your electricity supply uh, uh, instead of running a dedicated cable. That can also work very well if you have a home office uh, in your garden at the bottom of the garden for example where Wi-Fi won't won't reach very often. If you've got a, uh, if you've got an electricity supply running from your consumer unit in your house down to the bottom of the garden or the shed or wherever and have another one of these power line adapters just out there, then that will provide you with an internet connection wherever you are on your domestic supply. Yeah, that's good. There's some really good advice there. And I actually did that at the beginning of lockdown, invested myself in, an, in one of these mesh routers you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I already had the power line adapters. So now I've got a mixture of both. And uh, yeah, there's, there's no place for my broadband to hide. Yeah, and it's also it is also worth, particularly if you've been with your internet service provider for a little while and you've got a very old router. Before you go down those lines, have a chat with your internet service provider and ask them if they can provide you with a new router. Many of the main ISPs have updated their routers in the last three or four, two or three years, and the routers that they provide to new customers are actually. Very good. Oh, that's interesting to know. I would I automatically assume that the ones they give you for free are usually a bit rubbish. Yeah, so um, I did a thing for Channel 4 a couple of years ago where I got to test the broadband routers from the top five internet service providers um, in the UK. And uh, yes, not all of them were good, but the but the good ones uh, from BT, BT Home Hub, uh, and also, uh, I, I should say, since then, the Vodafone router as well, are fantastic. They're, you know, they use multiple frequencies, multiple antennas, and uh, they do give a very, very good connection throughout the house as well. So if, if you're not quite getting the signal that you want, probably the first step is to uh, see if there's a new router that your internet service provider can give you. And that may just be enough for you to be able to to do your video calls in your back office or in your shed. If, it, if that still doesn't work, then yeah, have a look at the mesh, have a look at the power line adapters and, you know, either one or a combination of those should give you a good connection throughout your home. That's covered the broadband, which I think is a really important thing to cover. Let's talk video conferencing then. Suddenly everyone thinks that Zoom is perhaps all there is, but no, there are other options out there. So what's the best one? What's the worst one? Is there one that we should be using? Is it all about Zoom or are there there other things? I think the number of applications that I've used in the last year or so to communicate with colleagues, uh, I, I must be into... I don't know, 15 or 20 different platforms. And they've all got their quirks. They've all got the things that make them, you know, in some ways easier to use than others. I mean, for example, we're using Zoom today and Zoom, the share price rocketed. Zoom is great for a lot of reasons. Um, It's really, really 
easy to use. And I think some of the other collaboration platforms like Microsoft Teams, they're great. They also have their quirks. And Microsoft Teams, personally, I find that to be a bit of a tricky user interface to use. I know it's very popular in schools. I agree with you. My, so my wife works in a primary school and she uses Microsoft Teams and she she's not perhaps as technically savvy as I am. And she was like, what is this? How do I get my head around this? And I had to look at it and more or less said the same thing. It took me quite a while to get used to how it works. It's quite complicated, isn't it? I agree. I mean, the thing is, is that what what we've seen over the last uh, 12 months is that the video conferencing platforms, they've by and large, always been there. Skype, it's been around for almost 20 years. I think it's 18 years old this year. Microsoft Teams isn't new, you know, Google Hangouts, Google Meets. This is technology that um, people were aware of, but just weren't using. Maybe it was a cultural thing, a behavioural thing, or, or a change management thing. But what I haven't seen yet, and this is what I would like to see going forward over the next uh, to, you know, 12, 18, 24 months or so, is these platforms maturing. Not just the video conferencing platforms, but the online collaboration platforms, you know, Slack is is another one, you know, let's replace email, but never, never really quite happened. I think that now we've all been using them now that the companies that develop these uh, platforms have got a wealth of data about how people use it, lots of feedback as well. That's when we'll start to see, I hope, platforms like Teams, like Slack, like uh, Zoom, start to change and become easier for everyone to use and maybe bring other things into them as well. But uh, I think really it's been a case of these companies have been battening down the hatches on the front end, on the user interface, and have really been making sure that the back end is able to scale to meet the demand. Now that we're there, I don't think we're going to do more homeworking than we already are. It's only going to go down or, or maybe flatten off. Maybe that's when they can start concentrating on the front end and making, making it a little bit more feature rich for us so that we can um, collaborate a little bit more naturally, not necessarily make a purposeful uh, Zoom call to someone to chat about a particular thing, but some of this uh, ephemeral collaboration, you know, as if I were sitting in the office with, with some of my colleagues. I'd really like to see some experimentation in that because that's one of the main criticisms really is that you lose some of the organic conversation where wonderful creativity can happen. So I, I would love to see a bit more creativity in these platforms platforms in the future. What about cameras? Because most low-budget laptops don't have the best camera, do they? Even expensive laptops. And I'm I'm calling you with a MacBook Pro in front of me. That's, you know, less than a year old. The camera in this is rubbish. Apple really needs to do a lot better. But it's the same with many of the other um, laptop manufacturers. The cameras that get bundled into them are generally very poor. And part of that is is physics. You know, the, the, the screens on these devices are so thin. There are limitations, optical limitations, in terms of the quality of the picture that they can capture. So I think that with everyone doing video conferencing now, with everyone, everyone's calling card being how they come across in a video conference to a certain extent, I think we need to level it up a little bit. And this can be a point of competitive advantage, if you like. I'm calling you, I've got a camera set up right now. It's, it's not an expensive camera, it's just a Panasonic mirrorless thing, a couple of hundred pounds now, but I'm using that to call you via a little USB dongle rather than using my laptop camera. Ergonomically, it's a lot better because the camera's not looking up my nose and seeing the ceiling. It's at it's eye level. But also, I mean, I've had this so many times when I'm having initial meetings with with new clients, is that the first thing, and you said it as well when I dialed in, because obviously we're on this Zoom call as, as our back channel right now. Wow, 
that looks good. And I know it does because I have got four lights going on here. You don't need to have those, but I do because I do video as well. Um, I've got a background which is which is fine. Um, I've made an effort to so that how I come across on camera, how my background comes across on camera, the product that I project even down a video conferencing line is the quality image that I would try to project where I'm meeting you face to face. I agree. And I think it's worth going to that extra effort. I mean, I do that as well. It's tidy. We've got things in the right place and, you know, it looks nice and presentable. And I think that's really important. Yeah. You know, uh, if I am going in for a meeting or an interview or whatever, I will make an effort to have a shave. Not that I've had a shave today. Sorry, Paul. Um, but, but to make sure that I am presentable myself, having a little bit of pride about how you come across, how your background comes across on camera as well as yourself can lift you above and like I say I'm I'm pretty sure that I've got work or engagements purely because I have presented myself in initial meetings as well as I can when it comes to uh, you know the, the the camera and the video conference bit. I'm using a thing I don't know whether you're aware of this David called Epoch Cam. Aha! Have you heard of this? I was going to go on to that yes I was going to go on to that. So I mean how does it look I'm using it right now. It looks absolutely fine so um, Epoch Cam and there's a handful of, of other apps like this um, the thinking is that the camera that is on your smartphone is fantastic. Epoch Cam and the like will let you use that camera. Again, you can just, you know, it's often much easier to mount your smartphone on a book or something like that, or just get a little stand for it. And that there will feed that camera view straight into your video conferencing software. And it looks fine. It's certainly, even that is an awful lot better than using the built-in the camera on your laptop. Now, we mentioned and touched briefly on Microsoft Teams. and I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, these productivity tools and the ways that you can perhaps work with your co-workers or your colleagues. This is a perfect example with Claire and I. Funnily enough, Claire can't be with us today because she's got internet problems. What are the chances of that? <laughs> but um, we often use something called Trello so we can remotely work together on our podcast and keep in touch with uh, forthcoming episodes and all the content and all the things that go with that. And I love working in Trello because it's simple. Once you work out how to use it, uh, it's a really great tool. Now, what other tools would you recommend for doing things like that so people can work remotely? Funnily enough, I had Trello written down here and there are other uh, Kanban type apps. So uh, uh, Kanban systems, uh, I think it was Toyota that pioneered the Kanban system as part of its just-in-time manufacturing process. And, uh, you know, if you if you are a fan of post-it notes and visualising whereabouts you are on different projects, then uh, tools like Trello can be really, really helpful. Um, other tools. Um, there's one that's relatively new, and it's by a company called Basecamp, which is uh, is itself not a not a stranger to the productivity app marketplace. Um, but it's an email app called Hey H E Y, and this is uh, email reinvented. I'm pretty sure that's on their website somewhere. So I, I make no apologies on their behalf for that. But you know, there's <laughs> been this rhetoric over the last few years that email is bad. Well, we we would be a lot better without email. You know, I hear people who I whose opinions generally I respect, um, you know, saying, oh, I, I just don't do email anymore. I'm saying, how on earth do you do any work? Certainly as far as I'm concerned, my business is concerned, I certainly couldn't get by without email. Doesn't mean I always like it. 
I think it's still got a place. I mean, email has been around, as far as technology is concerned, email has been around for quite a long while now, hasn't it? And it hasn't hasn't massively developed in that time. It's still pretty much the same as it used to be. And I'm sure there's lots of things that can be done with email which could push it forward a little bit, like maybe inventing embedding video, for instance, or making it a bit more uh, interactive. So are you saying that this new way forward is, uh, is sort of solving some of those issues? Yeah, indeed. So, um, hey... This is uh, uh, an email application that adds some intelligence, some user-centric design, some smart workflows and automation to email in a dream of an interface. You know, it really looks um, it, it really looks like it's going to be pleasant to use. It's also got some smart things for working in teams. You know, so if, if you're a small business, you get an email coming in to your hello at mybusiness.com. And maybe you want to discuss that amongst your team before you respond to it. Traditionally, how does that work? The first person who picks it up might forward it to half a dozen other people. There might be responses from each of those replying all. And before long, it gets quite difficult to track who said what, what the actions were, and not really have an audit trail of, brilliant, this is what we discussed around this email, this is how we're going to get back to them and who's going to do it. So tools like Hey, uh, there's also uh, Spark, which is an app I use on my smartphone as well. Uh, these let you have an internal discussion uh, around, you know, a, a kind of chat room, if you like, around an email so that you've got everyone's view on it and then you can uh, respond in the knowledge that all of the information about that inquiry has uh, has been taken into account. I think that's a real winner. That's that that's something which I think is uh, going to make quite a big difference to companies. There's also this shared feed of emails to, that, that prevents CCing and forwarding amongst um, amongst people, so that everyone can see this just like a timeline. You know, it's using some of the social media scrolling me- mechanic that you know you either love or loathe, but it's certainly there and it certainly works, and it brings some of that to email amongst teams. That's actually really exciting. I like the idea that someone's thought about moving email forwards because it's a, it's about time. If you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, oh, what did he say? I need to write that down. What's this? What's that app? So we have a page for every episode for the show. Uh, so I'll give you the links at the end so you can go to the uh, page on our website uh, that's about this episode and we'll have all the links in there of all the things that we talk about so you can go and check them out for yourself. So moving on, let's uh, consider um, someone maybe might be starting a business from scratch this year because I imagine that a lot of people who have got a change of circumstances and thinking about taking the reins for themselves. I think it might be quite good to think about what essential tools you think people might need if they're starting a business from scratch. I know it's a very broad subject because the business could be about anything, but there are some really great tools out there which can help people to organise themselves like Trello. And and there are other things like that too, aren't there, which are kind of pretty much essentials. Yeah. And I think it depends upon how you work. A tool that's been invaluable to me, what two tools that have been invaluable to me um, have been um, around time tracking and focusing. So particularly when you, you know, all, all hell's breaking loose around the house with homeschool and deliveries and all the rest of it, being able to say, I need to get this task done without being distracted. How am I going to focus on this task? And you know, obviously, we've, we've talked about project management tools as well to work out what tasks you need to do. But how am I going to be at peak productivity and understand where I'm spending my time so that, you know, on a weekly or fortnightly basis, I can take a look at that and understand, well, actually, I'm spending way too much on uh, on product development and not very much on sales or, or whatever. So two tools that, that will help you to do that. Um, first of all, focus. 
Um, Focus is an app that uses something called the Pomodoro technique, which is uh, beloved of uh, many people, including me. Um, what it does is that um, it divides your day into, there's a little bit of give and take here, but let's say 20 minute periods of focus. So if I know I'm writing a story for the Metro, um, I've got a deadline on Monday on that, um, I know that I tend to work pretty well in 20 minute chunks. And after that, and in that 20 minutes, I will shut off all notifications. My phone is on do not disturb. I've got my email application closed. For that 20 minutes or 25 minutes, I'm focused on that activity. After that, it'll go beep, beep, beep. And you've got two minutes to stand up, have a sip of water, check if there are any urgent calls that you've missed. And then you go back and do another 20 or 25 minute chunk. It's named after this Pomodoro, this uh, this timer that the guy who invented it had that was in the shape of a tomato. And he used this to time these periods of focus. And it's, say, it's, it's been used th throughout business for a few years now. And after four of these Pomodoro, Pomodore? <laughs> Pomodori? Pomodori, yeah. Let's, let's go with Pomodori. All right. After four of those, let's say, then you get a longer break, a 25-minute break, so that you can put your brain elsewhere, um, just have a little bit of a refresh before you go back into the task. It sounds, oh gosh, but there have been many times over the last few months when I have struggled to focus on a particular task. And I found this methodology has been such, such a help uh, just to enable me to get stuff done. And feeding into that is this time tracking thing. There are a number of apps. Focus will do this for you, but there are also um, apps like uh, Timery from Toggle. And what these do, again, you, you've got pro project management software that will feed into these if you want, but they will help you to understand where it is you're spending time. You know, I know I'm sat at my desk for eight hours a day. How much of that really am I on Facebook or Twitter? doing work, doing research, and how much of that do I have Word or IA Writer or whatever else, and I'm actually sitting down doing stuff. And yeah, how much am I spending uh, on business development? How much am I spending on uh, doing research or, or whatever? Having a look at that and, and being a bit regimented and, and being a bit anal about it for the first couple of weeks, you really do start to get um, a picture of where your time's spent, and it enables you then to make some to, to get some insights and to make some decisions. I've only spent an hour doing business development this week and you know um, pitching pitching new work maybe in a 35 in a 40 hour week I should be spending 10% of my time pitching work to new clients yeah that sounds reasonable so how come I've only spent half an hour no 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 no. so those insights will, will teach you things about how you work and about how your business is operating that maybe you know when you're in the micro view you might not have the distance to do. And I, th those are two approaches that I can't recommend enough, particularly if you're starting out when you're not only learning about your business and about the marketplace and about what it is you're developing, but you might also be learning about how you work. And particularly with, you know, the fact that many of us are working on our own at the moment, I think that's a really important lesson. Yeah, so there's two really, really great bits of advice. And I love that first idea with a pommy, what is it? Pomodoro. The Pomodoro, um, because I think after 20 minutes or so, and it, uh, having used, now you said that, it is around 20 minutes, you start to get a little bit of brain fog and you start wandering off and then that, that P word happens, procrastination, where you start playing around with different things and maybe scrolling through Facebook and stuff and then you stop yourself and think, oh, shouldn't be doing that, should be focused. 
But if you had that 20-minute window and then you went off and did, even if you just went off and walked around the block for five minutes, that's just enough to refocus your mind and bring you back to sort of the task at hand. I think that's such a great little thing. I'm right, certainly writing that down and getting myself involved in some of that. Okay, so let's talk about briefly before we finish about places where perhaps technology falls short. I know you've spoken about a couple of things when we were discussing Zoom earlier, because we can do some pretty amazing things. And when you think about what we can do now in COVID compared to what we perhaps could do maybe five years ago, technology has moved on so fast. So are there other places where you think perhaps, oh, I could do with that? You know, maybe you've got a wish list of things that aren't happening yet, but perhaps you'd like to see on the horizon. So one of my one of the clients that I've been doing some work with uh, over the last twelve months is BT, um, and I've been doing I've been hosting some events where they've been talking about the future of work. And there's a a, um, a lady called Dr. Nicola Millard, who is fantastic. She's a futurist, and uh, I've had some great conversations with her. She's a non-technical futurist uh so she's all about the psychology of behavior and the psychology of the office well hang on i didn't even know there was a futurist now you're telling me there are types of futurists oh oh, gosh yes indeed (laughs) oh yes and the reason that she's that the reason that she's great and and i encourage uh i encourage listeners to, to to look up her stuff on on linkedin and elsewhere as well is that she's been investigating this whole thing around collaborative working for 20 25 years or so since the 80s since dial up connections but what she's also looked at over the last few years as well and I, and I I think it's really interesting I don't think it'll work is how can we embrace some of this mixed reality and and, uh, and augmented reality technology that's kind of been there tapping on our shoulders for the last uh, eight or nine years or so how can we possibly use those to uh, create a a collaborative environment where we can work together more closely. So is it going to be slapping a virtual reality headset on my face for eight hours a day? And, you know, where... Oh, let's hope not. I hope not as well. But, you know, there are big companies that have made big bets in this technology from the likes of, you know, uh, when Facebook bought Oculus Rift, the little gamer virtual reality headset back in 2011, 2012, they spent billions on that, making a gamble that virtual reality would play a big part of of our future. I don't think that gamble's paid off yet, but this is very much a long game. Microsoft, HoloLens, HoloLens 2, this is a mixed reality uh, headset where you're looking through uh, a visor, I think is the best way to describe it, but there are augmented bits of graphics that appear on top of that and meld themselves around your physical environment. Again, that maybe is a step closer to where we want to go. And most analysts say that augmented reality is going to be far more important than virtual reality, where you're completely in a made-up world but again the ergonomics of it putting that putting that oh ski mask um, (laughs) on your face for so many hours when you know frankly i get a little bit sick after 10 or 15 minutes of, of wearing one of those things um I think that this is an area that we will start to see changes in. I don't think it's just around the corner, Paul. I still think we are three, four, five years away from being able to wear a pair of glasses like you and I are wearing right now and to be able to have these little graphical elements in there that might just, uh, to begin with, improve our productivity. You know, when we're allowed back out and, uh, and about again, like the dream of Google Glass was, again, you know, eight or nine years ago, uh, not having to glance down at my watch or glance down at my phone to see uh, who's calling me or who's texting me or, or those directions. I think that 
bring some of those interactions, bring some of those uh, interventions into the office. And, you know, I can start seeing an email uh, or appearing in the top corner of my view, or, or I can start seeing a colleague who just wants to send a quick chat. Um, I don't know that th this is the part where we fall down because it's about the use cases that work. It's about applying some of this creativity. And that's where the non-technical bit of being a futurist comes into it because, you know, how psychologically do we respond to these constant bombardments of interactions from our watches and phones and from our laptops? Do we want those in our glasses as well? Probably not. So, you know, what are these future interactions that are going to make us more productive, make us feel more connected with our work colleagues when we want to be connected and enable us to keep that creativity going? I don't know, but I think mixed mixed reality is going to be there, but not for a little bit. That's an interesting thing you were saying about the, the whole glasses thing and you know, having the information come up in your glasses, that it that kind of stuff just doesn't sit right with me at all. I mean, even when uh, even when the smartwatches and Apple watches started to happen, I said, nope, not going to have one, not going to get involved. It's it, as much of a disturbance to have my phone in my pocket buzzing every five minutes. I don't want a, a thing on my wrist to start buzzing too. So I refused to have one because um, it's nice to put your phone down, especially if you're working from home, really important to put your phone down and leave work behind for a while. Uh, and if you're constantly connected to it, it just becomes too easy to be constantly connected to it. Yeah, I agree. And also there's a realisation that, well, it's, it's not a realisation, it's something we've always known is that every one of us works in a different way. Different people of different ages work differently as well. You know, whether you've got the generation X, Y, Zs, boomers, whoever, there is, you know, 30, well, 40, 50 years of diversity in a workplace. People who've been brought up with technology, my kids in a few years' time, but then people for whom the internet is still uh, something that was not around uh, when they first started work. The technology that we bring into our workspace, it needs to be adaptable, flexible to accommodate a whole different types of uh, people who will be using them. And I think that's going to be the real challenge. It's not a technical challenge. Like I say, Dr. Nicola Millard, uh, she's, uh, she's on the money uh, with some of this stuff. And um, yeah, I, I think that some of the challenges that we're going to have aren't tech, they're behavioural. You've come up with such a load of great information, David. I mean, when I knew we were going to tackle this subject, um, I, I knew you were the person to, to ask because we know you'd come up with some great ideas. Uh, but we've got reams and reams of stuff there, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think perhaps this conversation isn't over. I think perhaps there might be a part two at some point in the future. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, what did he say? What was that? We're going to put it all on the page on our website, biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. So you can go and check it out after the episode and will link you directly to all these different things that David has recommended. So we always like to finish off, almost like a sort of a, a chill out at the end of the conversation uh, to ask you a set of questions completely unrelated to what we've been talking about. Uh, but this is the point where we get some really interesting answers and uh, learn a little bit more about you, David. Uh, and it's all inspired by um, a US TV show, I don't know whether you've seen it, called Inside the Actor's Studio. Yes, indeed. Where the... the the presenter, is it, well, it was his name, I'm trying to think of his name, James Lipton, that was him, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, he used to always ask the same questions at the end of every episode, so I thought, good idea, let's do that and see what we get, and we get some great answers. So, question number one, what's your favourite smell? Oh, you know, this this got me thinking a lot about my nose and my sense of smell. <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's quite big. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, my sense of smell is really, really important to me. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I sense things. I feel th- things through my nose quite a lot. And it's part of how I remember, uh, you know, survey a room or a space or a meeting or something like that. Very, very evocative. And I know you've had this conversation before on the show as well. Now, I... I don't smoke. I don't like the after effects of being around a campfire, you know, smelling of smoke or whatever for, for a few days afterwards. But the moment when the fire is 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 catching and it's not just the smell of that smoke, it is the warm the warmth that comes with it that I also feel in my nose. It evokes this this nostalgia. I don't know what it's harking back to, whether it's a uh, a fabricated memory or a real one, but um, it, it takes me back to this warm, cosy place that, uh, that I kind of maybe deep down hanker for somewhere. Oh, that's a really good answer. And instantly, as soon as you said that, you made me, and I'd completely forgotten about this memory, but you made me think about the bonfires that my dad used to have on a Sunday afternoon in the spring and in the summer when he was sort of doing lots of gardening. And he'd have, you know, they used to get those bins that you used to be able to burn stuff in. And that smell of that bonfire, as soon as you said that, I thought, oh, my dad's bonfire on a Sunday. You've taken me back to, uh, to, to the bonfires of my dad as well. You, maybe you have directed me towards the memory, that, that bit of nostalgia that I was, I was seeking. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dead or alive, who would be your ideal dinner date? Oh, God. Okay, so I... We did want to point out, we mentioned in the last episode this, actually, that by dead or alive, we mean that you're not sitting in front of a dead person. That doesn't matter because the person <laughs> the person who I would love to have a dinner date with is uh, very much alive. Um, I have a big man crush on The Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Uh, so if the opportunity were to arise, then, hell, I would pay for dinner with with Hugh. He is uh, he is the greatest showman in in many many ways from Hollywood blockbusters to uh, I first saw him as Curly in Oklahoma in the National Theatre production back in the late 90s or so. Uh and then, you know, goodness knows how many Hollywood movies. Greatest showman as well. He is that um he is the guy that does a bit of everything and is uh fantastic at all of them. So uh so yeah, followed by Kylie. But that's probably more more about my generation. Oh, yeah. OK, uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I'm a bit like you in a way, Paul, because I'm fortunate that I've had a stab at a fair few different careers in my life uh, and I've enjoyed every single one of them and I bring the history of each one of those into into what I do now. Um, I should have liked, though, to be a professional pilot. I've I always loved flying. Now, I never went on an aeroplane until I was 18 years old. Uh, and maybe that's kind of part of the of the mystery and magic for me. My work seen me traveling all over the place up until recently, um, uh, more often than not out of the country than in. Uh, I had some flying lessons once as well. My wife bought me some uh, flying lessons at the BA flight school. And I just got to the point where it was like, okay, am I going to commit to this? You know, it's going to be every other weekend or something like that for for, for two years in order to get my uh, private pilot's licence and a chunk of money. A big chunk of money. <laughs> yeah, a fair chunk of money, but it's the kind of thing that if you're going to do it, you need to commit to it. So I, I would have done it, but I think the challenge would have been that I already had so much going on in my life, I didn't, I couldn't commit the time to it, so I, so I let it slip, um, which... 
I don't have any regrets about, but I know that, you know, in, in sliding Doorsville, uh, that would have been another uh, happy fork in my life that I, I'm sure I would have very much enjoyed. And I still get excited when I fly now as well. You know, you, you would think it's just got a little bit more mundane when you're doing, you know, 30 flights a year. But no, there's still something, particularly flying at night and looking down, you know, particularly if it's ever bits of Europe or coastlines that I think I recognise, um, you know, I, I can just you'd be totally lost looking at a night sky. I was very fortunate to have kind of half done that because I was I did flying eye duty for about three and a half years. <gasps> of course. I'm a little bit jealous there. A little bit jealous. Did you know that when you're in the sky, rainbows are round? No, I didn't. But I really like the idea of that. Why do I not see more pictures of round rainbows taken by eye in the sky correspondence? Does that have a special name? Because I know there are different types of rainbows with with different kind of technical names. Is there a one for a round rainbow? It sh- if it hasn't, we need to invent one. <laughs> uh, so, David, we can't thank you enough. We've got so much information out of uh, that short space of time with you. And uh, I've no doubt we'll probably touch base and uh, maybe have you on for a repeat performance at some point in the future. Obviously, you know, people can see you on TV. People can read your articles. In, is it Metro Newspaper? That's what it's called, isn't it? Metro, the Metro, yeah, Metro, yeah, Metro Newspaper, yes. Where else can people... People get in touch with you if they want a little bit of tech advice. Well, social media is definitely the place to get hold of me, and uh, Twitter is uh, is great for that. At David McClelland, all the C's, all the L's, a couple of vowels chucked in for good measure. Uh, I'm very active on there, and uh, you know, thank you to the people who do engage with me on that platform because I do get a, a lot of story leads. You know, I, I say Twitter helped to change my life, and you know, uh, helped me to change careers ten or twelve years ago, uh, and it helps me to carry on doing what I do right now. Now. So, uh, yeah, Twitter's a great place to get hold of me. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. Listening to what David was talking about, it took me back to how technology has advanced so much, especially since when I was at the age that my children were. Um, and these amazing tools and gadgets that we have in order to make our lives you know, so much easier, and especially at the moment, there's so much to it. I know we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago, about how life would have been very different now if we were in our pandemic situation, say, five years ago only. Uh, we didn't have the technology that we have now and it wouldn't have been so easy. And we wouldn't have done the podcast for a start, would we? Wouldn't have happened. No, it's really hard to think what it would have been like and incredibly isolating, you know, even more so than now. Um, and I'm sure there would have been many more businesses that would have sadly, you know, not made it through, which is why it's important to know what we do have at our fingertips and how we can use it while wisely um, in order to keep going and keep educating ourselves so that our business is at the, fo- at the forefront of, of people's minds. Yeah, and David came out with a ton of great uh, information there and some really great things that you could download and try. A million and one questions that I didn't even get around to asking him. So I guess at some point later on in the year that we'll be inviting him back. And you can join us too, hopefully. It's assuming you've taken his advice. That is putting too much pressure on me now. What would happen <laughs> <laughs> if I couldn't? Uh, yeah, but that word broadband right now is uh, not my best friend but very grateful to have somebody like David to give me lots of options and I'm working on it I'm working on it so uh, thank you thank you very much to David for that and sorry to have missed it yes if you missed any of the stuff that he was recommending in the show don't forget you can get all the information and all the links 
by going to the Big Little Business Show website, biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. Right, so is it now time for us to share what's happening on the show next week? Shall we? Go on, go on, go on, tell them, tell them, tell them. Okay, at the end of uh, our episodes, we give a shout out to a business who we would like to just give some recognition as to, you know, what it is that they do to let people know that they're there. But what we would like to do is once a month, and what we will be doing is talking about books and we're going to be talking to Adam Daniel who's going to be sharing his top suggestions for business books that we can read. Yeah if you didn't hear this a couple of weeks ago we had Adam on the show because he challenged himself to read 33 business and self-development books within a year. Well you love these little ideas about having spreadsheets and stuff and writing stuff down and making notes. Yeah my element. He's a king of referencing is our Adam but yeah we thought it would be a great idea if we had him on once a month just to recommend a book and because he's going to carry on doing this reading uh, over this year and he agreed to come on once a month and talk about whatever he's reading and recommend a great book for you all to read yeah i think this is just absolutely brilliant i have not talked about business books as much as i have done in the last 12 months and the number of times i get asked questions you know what book are you reading what book would you recommend so to have somebody like adam who's read extensively over the last you know 12 months or so it's going to be absolutely fabulous to signpost people to the yeah the right book for them great yeah looking forward to it so adam's book club starts on the show next week and we'll obviously serve some links up on the big little business show facebook page and instagram and all the other places where you get to find us and uh, i think adam said he was going to do a little video for us as well to let us know about the books that he's reading Uh, so that's next week on the show back to this week we always like to finish off by bigging up as you said claire a, a business who has been in touch with us on social media or has come and listened to the show so um who are we shouting out about this week i'd like to give a shout out to chris allen and chris allen is a partner and works for Charles David Casson um, and they are a property company. Ooh, where do we find them? Where do we find them? Yeah, there's a lot of lo- lot of talk at the moment with, you know, house programmes on and people looking at, you know, potentially maybe looking to move um, later on this year. So I thought it would be great to give these guys uh, a shout out. So they're a family run business and you can find them at Charles David Casson, which is double S-C-A-S-S-O-N dot co dot UK. Got them. I found them right here, haven't they? this year and last year as well I mean everyone was moving house last year it seems like everyone I knew was moving house somewhere mm. and I guess that's going to carry on this year too I hope it does because it, you know, it's nice to hear some good news about businesses that are doing well rather than all the ones that mm. aren't doing well mm. yeah no abs- absolutely so uh, yeah check these guys out they've, they've been around for a, a good while uh, so that's charlesdavidcasson.co.uk go and say hi to them if you're thinking about moving to Chelmsford come to Chelmsford come and see us come and say hi so that's pretty much it we're all done here thank you very much to David for all these great information and I've no doubt we'll have him on again in the future and don't forget you can check out all the links to all the things that he talked about at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk don't forget whatever platform you're listening to us on click on the subscribe button so you get all the future episodes directly into your inbox and don't forget to leave us a review too really important helps to big us up in podcast land and that's it all done till next week go and get your broadband sorted out I'm on it <laughs> bye bye the beat you've been listening to the big little business show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley you can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes Spotify TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too just search for Big Little Business Show The Big Little Business Show is a PM2 Media and Excel Networking production.